0: At gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 12. You all there say amen. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place." for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Father, I ask that you would guide us this morning, that you would empower the preaching of your word, that you would empower every listener to receive your word, and that you would empower all of us to do your word. Lord, as mentioned a little bit ago, I I pray that we would not have the mindset that Mission Weeks is about who's coming through but, Lord, who is here right now and what you want to do through them. And Lord, I pray that you would use those that come through to motivate us to engage and involve ourselves in the mission right here. And if you should see fit, and we pray that you will, that you would send forth from this congregation into different regions of our own country, but also, yes, Lord, around the world. Lord, I'm reminded that what you will teach us in this local assembly is what would prepare us to be missionaries in other places. So Lord, we need you to teach us here and we need you to do a special work this month here. And so we ask for that in Jesus name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. I want us to realize that this letter really does uh, coincide with uh, the book of Acts very well, though this particular portion of Paul's testimony to the Corinthian believers does not seem to be explicitly written out in the book of Acts, but we see it there nonetheless. It was a part of his third missionary journey is where we, uh, we believe that we find this. And we just want to understand that uh, as Paul was leaving on his third missionary journey, places like uh, Ephesus and Smyrna and so on, that uh, God had been working in major ways and he was about ready to go back and revisit the work that he had done in Corinth. He had already written, uh, written the first letter to the Corinthians dealing with some of the issues that were there, uh, but he is now ready to go back up into Macedonia, help us out with the map guys, and uh, he's about ready to go there and, and uh, go uh, make some uh, other tours around uh, up in Macedonia, come back down into A and to Corinth and different areas, but he had, he had briefly touched down in this second missionary journey in Troas. There you see it in green. He briefly touched down there, but did not spend much time there at all, and he is, he is coming back for the third missionary journey, and he's going to be in Troas just for a little bit of time, but he's there with a a pretty big burden on his heart. He's waiting to hear, uh, hear a report back about how the Corinthians received the letter Uh, the first letter that was dealing with uh, the sin of division, the sin of fornication that was in the church, the the sin of just kind of this self-centeredness that was going on in the church, brothers taking one another to law, and so on. And he's just eagerly awaiting this letter, and so his heart was very burdened. And as he receives the report, he travels on to Macedonia, he finally meets up with Titus, who was bringing this report. Uh, He receives this letter, and is very burdened to continued to address the Corinthian believers specifically to kind of comfort the ones that had been overtaken in a fall. Those that had been challenged, those that had been rebuked by the first letter. He wanted to let them know, I love you, and I I, I care for you, and I, I want you to continue on for the Lord. But he also had been receiving some criticism because to the Corinthian believers, it seemed like that Paul had vacillated in his plans. He, he really wasn't coming as quick as he had said he was. And there were some other... Uh, charlatans that were posing as preachers in Corinth that were saying oh you listen to the apostle Paul he doesn't keep his word and how can he be apostle if he doesn't keep his word and so criticisms were arising and Titus was bringing that back to Paul and Paul even had to defend in the first chapter especially he had to defend his apostleship and the calling that God had given him and as we come into chapter number two of second Corinthians we find him saying listen I love you all and I want you to know what God is doing. I want to give you a big picture of what God is doing. Just remember, you don't always see the big picture. And, and, and it is amazing how many times as, as a as spiritual leader, there's sometimes it, 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 it would be wonderful if I could just pull back and say, here's everything that's going on. You know what's going on here, but here's everything that's going on. And so Paul was dealing that with the, with the Corinthian believers. And so as We discover this, Paul does rejoice in the fact, and he revels the fact before the Corinthian believers that God was indeed directing them, and God was working, and this working was indeed holding them back and causing them to have to be flexible. How many of you understand if we're going to follow the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to be flexible? And so there was this, this flexibility that Paul was engaging in. Yes, it was bringing about criticism, so he writes a second letter to them, many other things that are dealt with in the second letter, but I want us to focus in on chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and really catch Paul just rejoicing in the fact, yes, God is leading, and God is working, and God is triumphing, and it's an amazing thing, and I believe this letter has bearing for our mission weeks uh, this month. And so I want us to notice, first of all, Paul had experienced the direction of God. He had experienced the direction of God. Look in verse number 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach the God, on Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. And I want us to realize that he had seen God's direction specifically through an open door. There are times where you might be going through, or a spiritual leader, a, 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 this should be all of us, when we're going through a day and, and we, we have a plan and God says, no, I actually have another plan for you. Here's an open door. Here's someone that is seeking, and you need to stop and talk with them. Paul comes up into Troas. He had been there a little bit before, but he hadn't seen all that God wanted to do there. And he comes in this time, and, and there is an obvious open door to the gospel. There is hungry hearts. There's people gathering together. There's people asking questions. And Paul had been there previously on his first, uh, second missionary journey, and he had heard the Macedonian call. He heard the vision that night when God said, uh, gave him that, that vision where the man from Macedonia said, come over to Macedonia and help us. So he did. And he wasn't able to be there on very long. But now on this third missionary journey, he is there and is discovering there is a great open door. The idea of this word open, it's not sealed. It, it, it is wide open. You don't have to push it open. It's wide open. And that's exactly what Troas was. It was a wide open place for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to realize there are times in our lives where we step into scenarios. We step into places. We step into a relationship where God has been working a long time in the past. And we get to come into that open door and God says, right now I want you to sit, stay here and work for me. And that's what, that's what was going on in the Apostle Paul's life. This, this door had been opened in the past, and it was still open, and Paul came in and found that God was working there. Friends, we must learn to find where God is working and join him there. Far too long we try to open up doors and pry open doors. Well, this person isn't quite ready to receive the gospel. Find where God is working and join him in that. It might mean you put something else on pause. It might mean you prioritize something else, but find where God is working. You know what? When we, when we find where God is working and join him there, it requires oftentimes a shifting of our schedule. It requires flexibility. It requires us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Find where God is working and join him there. Uh, The Bible says in Acts 16, in verse number 15, And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye judge me to be faithful, uh, come into my house and abide um, abide there. And she constrained us. And the Bible goes on in Acts uh, 16 uh, 16 to tell us of this lady, Lydia, who was worshiping with her friends by the on the side of the river and the bible says in verse number 16 and 17 that it was her heart who the lord, the whose heart the lord had opened up and paul came into Philippi and realized, here's a lady whose heart God had opened up. He stepped into something God was already doing. Listen, we're looking for places to step in where God is already working. Maybe it's a person at your workplace. Maybe it's a family member. You can't force, but when God gives an open door, take the open door. That's the time to move. I think about the, the trip to Grenada and the whole Grenada Bible Project. That is a place where God has opened a wonderful open door to us. Do you agree with me on that? Praise the Lord, where a whole nation's going to get Bibles. The, the Bibles are in warehouses, and, and the plans are being made. I finally just, uh, this week, got kind of a concrete uh, date that we can get down there, uh, October the 24th. And so I want you to have that in the back of your mind and be praying about that. But that's an open door, that God began opening 30 years ago. But it was now in the past two years that God says, now's the time, join God in that work. And that's what we've been doing. That's what you've been doing, and we praise the Lord for that, and we need to see that repeated all over our city and all over the world. And so we praise the Lord for that. So Paul was in the middle of, a, as some people say, a God thing, right? This is clearly God. God is here in Troas, and he's working, and I'm staying here, and I'm preaching the gospel, but there was, a, well, not just an open door. There was an overwhelming distress to the apostle Paul. I had no rest, verse 13, in my spirit, because I found not on Titus my brother. Paul was laboring there in Troas under the distress of, I wonder how Corinth is doing. I wonder how brother so-and-so is doing. I know I had to deal with that pretty hard in the letter, and I can't imagine what it must have been like for him to be sitting in that assembly and hear that because I was specifically speaking about him, and, and I can't imagine what he must be going through. I don't want him to be overtaken in sorrow. I just want him to repent and turn to the Lord and start doing what's right, and, and All this no doubt is going through the Apostle Paul's mind he says I had no relief in my spirit I had no Liberty in my spirit I had no Liberty in my spirit I'm locked up my mind is focused on one thing I get up in the morning my mind's there I go to bed at night and my mind's there my resting uh, consciousness goes to that situation that's where Paul was I am I am overwhelmed with the distress what is going on in Corinth are they going on for the Lord are they being spiritually mature? Are they saying yes to the Holy Spirit of God? Did they receive the rebuke and go on? Or are they, are they crossing their arms and saying, huh, well, who does Apostle Paul think that he is? We'll just do things our way. And so where are they? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse number 4, a few verses earlier, writing, uh, writing and speaking of this letter that he wrote, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. There are going to be times in a pastor's life and those that he, he shepherds in a, an evangelist's life and those that he works with that he is going to have to say some hard things one-on-one or public. He, he's going to have to say some hard things. And, and sometimes people get this mindset, well, pastors just enjoy saying hard things. No, pastors don't enjoy saying hard things. Most of the time, pastors struggle at night to go to sleep over saying hard things and wake up in the morning struggling over saying hard things and wonder and second guess, did I do the right thing? Should I have challenged him at that moment? Was it the right time? Did I, did I really need to go about it in that way? And there's this turmoil that goes on in the heart. What Paul is identifying for us and saying in chapter two and verse number four, my heart is breaking. I'm rotting in my gut, so to speak. I'm just struggling in my, in, in my inner man with what I've had to do and, and, and I'm worried I'm worried about your spiritual condition. A spiritual leader bears a great burden for the spiritual welfare of the people God has given them to lead. And there are times where the great doors that God opens up will be overshadowed with the gloom of the burden of how are they doing? How are they doing? Are they making the right choices? Listen, it's important that we heed the words of Hebrews 13 and verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself. We're not talking about dictating. We're talking about spiritual leadership, submitting yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable unto you. The importance Paul, uh, God says in the book of Hebrews is, listen, follow the spiritual leadership because they're giving an account, they're burdened for you. They're burdened you Now are many cases where there is abuse of that type of spiritual leadership, and I think we need to be aware of that. That's a reality. It's a sad reality. Typically when people say, I, I haven't been to church in 20 years, I typically will respond back with, so you were hurt. You were hurt. Tell me about it. And a lot of times there was a hurt, something that was just wrong. And there are those abuses, but Paul wasn't abusing. He was taking the word of God and saying, listen, it's not right for you to live in fornication. It's not right for you to have division in the church. It's not right for you to be taking the, your brother to law. It's not right. It's not right when you come to the Lord's table to observe the, 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 the uh, death of Jesus Christ and remember it for you to uh, treat it like a potluck and, and shoo the people that don't have food away. It's not right that you're, you're selfish like that. I mean, he was just dealing with things just like that with the church. And so his heart was burdened with this as he's talking to the church. So he's setting this context. Listen, this is where I'm coming from. God is working. He's directing me. But my heart is so burdened because I haven't heard from Titus yet. They're about to hear the rest of the story in this second letter once it gets to them. And so what Paul goes on to say, though, is really interesting because from Verse number 13 to verse number uh, 14 is quite a a knee-jerk shift. It's just like Paul saying, listen, I'm so burdened. And then he just catches a glimpse, a perspective of faith that leads him high and upward and towards focusing on God. And he says, listen, I want you to know, though, now thanks be to God. Right now, in the midst of all this, in the midst of the open door, in the midst of the, um, the overwhelming distress, I want us to realize that God is working and God is triumphant and God's not lost power yet. And so notice not just the, uh, the experience of God's direction, but the extension of Christ's triumph here in verse number 14, now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, in the middle of all this, thanks be to God. It's not always easy in the middle of distress to say thanks be to God. Any of you find that hard? How do the rest of you do that? Come on. Are we, are we all saints? Like, like, we're all saints. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Praise the Lord, all right? We're not waiting for sainthood. You're a saint. You're set-apart one in Christ. Amen? You believe that? All right. But legitimately, friends, don't we find it hard to be thankful in the midst of distress? And uh, it's real. Here's what Paul's saying. Yep, this is, this is the reality. My heart is burdened down. My heart is burdened down for the, the, the believers down there because I haven't heard yet. And I can't quite make this connection with Titus. They didn't have cell phones and, hey, i am meet you at this port. Uh, they were, they were you know, going off of uh, past plans, all right? We're going to meet up. Troas, maybe Macedonia, Uh, this is kind of like, this this is quite a connection that needs to be made there. And he says, now in the middle of all this, thanks be to God. Why, Paul? Why are you thanking God? Because Paul got to share in Christ's triumphs. Paul had the opportunity, the blessing, the delight of sharing in the triumphs of Christ. What does he mean? He says here that Christ always, that God always causes us to triumph. The idea of this, this causing to triumph is the idea to parade triumphantly we have the parade tomorrow and and many of you are uh coming along and uh, if it doesn't rain uh if it doesn't thunder on us and that that type of thing but we'll see how tomorrow goes and we'll leave that in the hands of the Lord but uh to, to parade triumphantly we're not talking about that type of parade uh the parade that happens on Far Hills Avenue isn't the parade that's happening here in, in the Bible this is talking about uh Paul is using a illustration or a very colorful Picture of something that would happen in the mili- uh, the, the Roman military. The Roman military, a, a commander in chief, would go out to a foreign land, and he would he would battle, and he would win that land. And if he if he uh, conquered five thousand uh, people or so, uh, the, back in those days, it was customary for the Roman government to give him a Roman parade of triumph. He'd be paraded through the streets. And he would be, there would be such a, uh, a to do. It was a festival in the city. It was a big, big deal to get the the on um, the triumphant parade. And so it was all because of the of the winning that he had he had he had conquered the the people that he had conquered the land that he had conquered for the for the Caesar and so on. And so uh, he would oftentimes bring back those that had been uh, caught. And I'm not I'm not promoting this in any way. But um, been caught and would be enslaved. And uh, so he would bring them back, and he would triumph his he would triumph his uh, his his catch, the spoils of war, behind him. The Roman priests would carry incense, and so there would be an aroma that was attached with this. Some say that those that were um, those that, that were freed and those that were enslaved would also carry some incense. So there was a lot of incense involved, and so uh, Paul is is painting a picture of something that the people well understood. Happening in his day, a triumphant parade. People would see this going by, and who was the person that triumphed? Who was the person that triumphed? And listen, God always makes us a triumph, not in me, but in Christ. That's pretty awesome. He says, as we go into Ephesus, and as we go into Smyrna, and as we go into Thessalonica, and as we go into Philippi, and we declare the word of God, God always causes us a triumph in Christ. And God says, people see this happening, they're not, they're not saying, well, oh, look at the Apostle Paul. Paul had eye problems. Paul had uh, uh, some speech issues. He was not, he was not the, the most uh, the quick on his, uh, on his feet and so on. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is Paul had a lot of drawbacks. He was, uh, some say even uh, maybe his stature wasn't very tall. There, there's a lot of things that, that were drawbacks to the Apostle Paul. He says, uh, the triumph isn't in me, it was in Christ. God always makes us a triumph, always. It's a very, very beautiful picture. And even as we think of this, this is what God does. The way that that the Holy Spirit inspired this in the, the sense of the verb is this is just what God does. By his very attributes, God is one who always makes us to triumph in Christ. That's just what God does. And the fact is, we live in a godless, a godless. Uh, Country, we're seeing the just the turmoil of sin, uh, bringing us further and further down. And this is no less true in our country than it was true back in that day. God still, by very attribute, is making us to triumph in Christ, and this is still a reality for us for us today. But I want us to remember what the Bible says in Colossians number fifteen. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly Triumphing over them. There is the word the exact word again And it relates back to the work that Jesus Christ did at the cross when he made a show of Satan's he, 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 he uh, Satan thought that he had him Satan uh, nailed him to the cross through the, the, uh, on the Through the plans and the 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 evils of men and Satan thought that he had him But on that day when Jesus came out of the grave, let me tell you it was a triumphant day It was a parade of all parades when he came out of that grave and showed openly before all the demons uh, that, uh, uh, that in principalities and the unseen forces of evil, and before all men, before 500 men there, before all his disciples, he openly showed his triumph. He paraded his triumph. Friends, we as bird believers ought to take great joy in the fact that we get to share in his triumph. Did you notice there? Did you notice in verse number 14? Now thanks be to God, which always causeth who? Now Paul is not just saying me. He had a team. There were others. Uh, He's including the believers there. Which always causes us to triumph. Friends, this isn't for a select few. The fact is, God wants to make you triumph in Christ. He wants to make you parade triumphantly in Christ. And even your very life and your testimony and the stories that you're writing are part of that that triumphing in Christ and you sharing that with somebody is a part of your triumphing in Christ. And we get to share in this triumph. We didn't triumph over sin, death, and hell, did we? He did. He did. And we get to share in that. Every time you share the gospel, we get to share in that. Every time you choose to allow the Holy Spirit to empower you not to sin and to live righteously and godly in Christ Jesus, you're sowing the triumph of Christ. You're sharing in the triumph of Christ. What a beautiful picture. Paul said, I got to share. I got to share in the triumph of Christ. We get to share in the triumph that Christ has already won and is presently extending through us in the world. God is not done. He did not tell us to go camp out on a mountain. He did not tell us to hold on till the rapture. We have not gotten a communication that because inflation and because our country is doing some really crazy things right now that we just need to pause and hide out. We have gotten no communication that way. Nor do we look for one. And every Baptist ought to say amen. Do we still believe that this is the completed word of God? All right. So the fact of the matter is, he still wants to triumph. And he still wants to extend this triumph that Paul is talking about in Troas and all these different places. He wants to extend this triumph to your neighborhood. He wants to extend this triumph to your family. He wants to extend this triumph to your family workplace he wants to extend this triumph praise God to Grenada he wants to extend the triumph praise God to all the way up to Canada and in the Northwest Territories and in all these places that we'll hear about uh, about this this year and every flag that's represented in this auditorium and through the lobby he wants to extend his triumph in those places through us but the triumph has already been won through Jesus Christ and I praise the Lord for that So what did Paul do? How does this work? Verse number 14, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge. Say that out loud with me. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge, notice, by us in every place. What's this talking about? Paul said, this is what God is allowing us to do. He's he's allowing me to triumph in Christ. And how does that work? By making manifest, revealing Christ, by announcing Christ, The word. And so here we find Paul said to the believers there, I'm simply just going into all these places and I'm speaking the truth. I'm declaring the truth. We're in a sorry state in our country right now because we don't know what truth is. We've lost sight of absolute truth. I was talking with an elected official and I, I was challenging them about specifically just standing on truth and not vacillating about that and they asked that question, what is truth? And, and, and then they said this, they said something to the effect of, of, well, most people don't like truth. They might not like it. And I said, that doesn't stop us from simply lovingly declaring the truth. And what we have going on in our society and many leaders, they... They test the wind before they speak the truth. And we've lost sight of the truth. And it's not the politicians' faults, it's the pulpits' faults and the pews' faults in our country. So I just want us to grab a hold of this fact that Paul went into those areas and he says, I'm making manifest the Savior of Christ, and and this is what God is doing in me, and it's happening by us in every place as we speak and communicate the truth. Notice making manifest is to, to reveal, to clearly reveal to the mind, to the senses, to the judgment. That's what preaching does. That's what the declaration of truth does. It reveals it, here it is, here it is. Now what are you gonna do with it? He uses this word savor. He maketh manifest the savor of Christ, the savor, the aroma, the odor of Christ. Even those that do not accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior, many have to admit that Jesus Christ is the greatest individual that ever walked the face of the earth. Even the Muslims admit that he was a great teacher. Most every religion admits that he is a great individual. By the way, just an interesting thought about that. We don't know of Jesus Christ apart from the Bible. And so many that say the Bible is not the Word of God base their understanding about this historical figure, Jesus Christ, from the Word of God. Very interesting. Very interesting. But they, they understand that he's a great, great person. We believe that he is the son of God, do we not? Well, do we? We believe that he's the son of God. He is very God. He did not come and he was not, uh, he didn't become God after his baptism. He always was God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word Was God we believe that he is eternally God and we believe that he has all the all the attributes of deity and he came and took on human flesh we believe that very very strongly we believe in the deity of Christ and so when we talk about the aroma of Christ it's the knowledge of him it's the understanding of him it's the fragrance of Christ who he is we think about his love certainly that's a beautiful aroma isn't it it's a beautiful aroma when think about the peace that Jesus Christ brings what an aroma uh, when we think about the fact that he is God with us, when the angels got, um, gave that message, that he would come and he would be God with us, what a beautiful, wonderful, warming thought. I almost you know, think about you know, kind of we come into fall and you get vanilla cookie candle, you know, that type of aroma, just this warm, wonderful, wonderful sense. Wow, that's pretty awesome. The aroma of Christ is his, the knowledge of who he is, what he has done, and, and what he offers he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is the aroma of Christ, who he is and what he has done, what he is doing in the, the world. He's the lover of my soul. He's the lily of the valley, as the songwriter says. He's the bright and morning star. He's a counselor, like we sang about this morning. He's the comforter. He is the creator, and he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief for us. The savor of his knowledge is the truth about who Christ is. Paul says, in every place, God was making the aroma of Christ manifest, revealed before the heathens, before those that rejected God, before those that were ready to receive Him. He made it manifest before them. How? By us. By us. This wasn't Paul gloating. It's simply saying, we were God's means by getting the the aroma of Christ into Corinth and getting the aroma of Christ into Troas. and, And by God's grace, we need to fill this city with the aroma of Christ and the truth of who he is. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How does this manifestation of his aroma happen in a city? By us. By us. You don't hire a preacher to do all that. You don't hire a preacher to do all that. We'll just keep on saying it until you get on board and say amen with it. Uh, We don't hire a preacher to do all that. This is your responsibility. You are to to allow God to make manifest the aroma of Christ in your workplace, in your, your family, and in this city by your very words, by your very presence. Listen, when you react without anger in a situation at work, When you should have blown your top, the aroma of Christ. When you're not all scared of death like they are, the aroma of Christ. Not complaining about, man, when's the gas pump and this inflation thing? Boy, it's hitting all of us, isn't it? We feel it. When there's a spirit like, God will provide the aroma of Christ. A settledness, the aroma of Christ. But friends, the aroma of Christ is not complete without the word, the word of truth. And he announced that in Troas and in all these different places. So then faith cometh by hearing, say it with me, and hearing by the word of God. Earlier on in Romans chapter 6, how shall they hear without a preacher? How are they going to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ without a preacher? You're the preacher. Now, we do not believe that, um, that the Lord has established that these are the pastor, but we do believe that you are at every one of us, every gender. Uh, we believe in two genders, as we learned this morning. Now, i, I got to be careful with that, because uh, some people can take that to mean 72. All right, no, we don't believe in 72 genders. We believe in two, and we believe that God has assigned us all to be preachers of the gospel. Every one of us. And we praise the Lord for that, and we need to engage that god chooses to use us to extend his triumph in every place that he directs us paul don't go to Bithynia, don't go into over in Asia, I want you to go over into Macedonia. Yes, sir, Lord. And he extended the triumph of Christ in places like Philippi and Thessalonica so that the word of God sounded forth like a, like a shockwave out into that, into that area of Macedonia as, as that church got a hold of this and they began preaching and discipling the, and, and ministering the gospel all throughout their area. It's just amazing how God moved things along and he triumphed in the life of the Apostle Paul, and he wants to do that in us as well. This isn't just something for the past. It's something for today. So Paul experienced the direction of God. Go here. Paul was able to be a part of extending the triumph of Christ, which we are as well. But I want us to notice, as we've just mentioned a moment ago, it was by the truth that Paul preached. Yes, his life, but by the truth that he preached. We get a little bit further into that in verse 15 through 17. Notice it says, For we... Are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Let's read that together. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Everyone together? For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Did you notice it wasn't what we do is a sweet savor? We, as this, this individual, is a sweet savor. Listen, I'm telling you what, when you think about God looking at fallen man who had sinned against him, every one of us included, and that he sent his son to die in our place and gave us the opportunity to place faith in him. And we accept him as our personal savior and he changes our life. He changes our life, not because of our works. He changes our life by faith in Jesus Christ. And we go on serving him. We go on obeying him and following after him and preaching the gospel and and so on. And as you think about the Heavenly Father who created us to look at a life that he has restored back to himself, he did not have to, but that he's restored back to himself, Paul says, we, we are a sweet odor. We're a sweet aroma to God. Think about that tonight. Think about that today, how that you before God are a sweet a sweet aroma. Now specifically, Paul's talking as preachers of the gospel, as heralds of the truth as those that have been assigned a task here on earth to take this this truth the the savor the knowledge of christ and and bring it and make it manifest manifest in every place those are the people he says these preachers uh, those are the ones who are a sweet savor to christ in them that are saved and in them that are uh, that perish regardless of their response to god your sweet savor christ Paul says that as he preached the truth, it stirred a response. Look at verse number 16. To the one, we're a saver of death unto death, and to the other, a saver of life unto life. There are those that, that hear the message, that see our life, and they reject it. Boy, they hate it. It stinks like death to them. They, they even, in Acts chapter number uh, 22, we found them saying, away with such a fellow. It's not fit that he should live on the earth. Do you remember that? Remember that? That's how they looked at him. To them there in in Jerusalem, the the Jewish uh, leaders and the Pharisees and the priests and so on, the, the Sanhedrin, they rejected the message. It was to them, it was a stinky message. It was something that was repulsive to them, but there were others in that city that gladly received the word and went on. It stirs a response. Sometimes as as people giving the gospel, as preachers of the gospel, we get discouraged because there was a response of death unto death. People rejected it. We, we don't like that message. We revolt against that message. But it's a response nonetheless. And it is also a testament to the triumph of Christ. It is a testament to the power of words. It's a testament to the power of truth that it would cause a person to say, no, I'm not with this. I will keep on to my own life, I I stand where I stand, or I receive it. It's a powerful thing to watch the gospel divide. Genuine preaching of the truth and genuine preaching of the gospel draws a line in the sand and it says who's on the Lord's side? Are you with Jesus or are you against Jesus? Do you want life or do you want death? Do you want heaven or do you want hell? Do you want everlasting pleasure in the, in the presence of God or do you want everlasting flames? And, and, and so Paul found himself in the midst of cities preaching the truth and being the Rome of Christ and a lot that to be manifest in the city. And he says, I find myself right in the middle. I'm preaching and I find people going life, death, making these amazing eternal choices. And so his question, who is sufficient for these things? How is it that Some human preacher is sufficient, is even able to to accomplish this. This is such an awesome responsibility to come into a city and to declare, to come into somebody's life and declare the way, the truth, and the life and and find people are making an eternal decision between life and death. Who's sufficient for these things? Paul later on answers that question in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. It's not me, it's his truth that triumphs through us the aroma of Christ it's Christ's triumph being extended into that place that makes the difference we're not fit but God is you are not fit to take the aroma of Christ into your neighborhood this week but God is and God in you is Christ in you the hope of glory you have the Holy Spirit he equips us and he makes us it, uh, sufficient. I want us to turn over to 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 19. I want us to turn over there and see that on the page. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and verse number 19. We find in this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. What a triumph. What a triumph. Goes on and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, this very ministry Paul's talking about right now. I'm standing between the on um, the, the living and the dead, verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, not accounting their trespasses unto him. Once you're reconciled, listen, your slate is clean, your rap sheet is cleared. And he accounts righteousness to your account rather than all the sins. Man. That's good stuff. Think about all the sins that you've committed in your life. Mountains. And God has wiped it clear by reconciliation through Jesus Christ. That's, that's, the, that's the salvation. Total forgiveness is the salvation that he offers. It's an amazing thing. But Paul goes on here in, this, in verse number 19. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. There it is. I'm speaking the truth. This truth stirs a response. It it stirs a decision. It stirs and requires people to make a a choice. They can't remain neutral. You cannot remain neutral to the message of the gospel. You're either on one side or the other. The Bible says this in John 3 and verse number 18. Those that have not believed on him are already condemned. They're under the condemnation of God. Those that have believed are, are rescued right now. They aren't waiting till death. They're not waiting till the afterlife. They're not waiting till sometime in the future. They're right now. They're saved and have eternal life right now. You can't be neutral. There is no, no, no neutrality in this matter. And preaching of the gospel draws a clear line, it requires and stirs a response. And Paul knew that. And he saw that happening all over those cities. It's not us that is sufficient, it's God and His truth and His word that triumphs through us. Praise the Lord for that. When this truth is preached, yes, it stirs that response, but it also stands on its own. It stands with amazing power. Notice in verse number 17, Paul now is thinking about these false teachers, these charlatans over in Corinth. Give us the map again. He's away from them. He's he's hundreds of miles away. Uh, from, uh, from the, the, the believers down there. He loved this church, though. there was racked with sin. He loved this church. He's there up in uh, Macedonia, Troas area now, and he's, he's burdened about them. And he's thinking about the false teachers that are running around saying, yeah, this is about Paul, and uh, you don't need to go this way. Don't follow that word. And, 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 and subverting the people. And notice what he says in verse number 17, for we are not as many. For we are not as many. Listen, The preaching of the truth will often be found in the minority. We have a craze of, uh, like, just this, this obsession with bigger is better. But friends, I'm telling you, more and more, the mega, mega institutions called churches, called churches, are doing nothing more than trying to see how they can how they can keep people in the doors, not offend them, and keep the offerings coming in. More and more buying jets, you know, the, the 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 big the bigness mentality. It is it is an amazing thing as we see across our land just this, this obsession with big. Paul says here that there were many, you say, well, they didn't back then. The, you know, the, the preachers weren't in it for the, for the money. No, Paul actually says here, notice, which corrupt the word of God. The word corrupt means to peddle, to sell, to offer, for sale, from place to place, characterized by false and deceptive practice. We're coming into your town to hold a concert and to have a healing service. Come on in. Let's jam the place out. We'll rock out Jam the place out. Do anything to get them in there. Hoop it up. Whoop up the Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit. And friends, it is nothing more than a clever money-making scheme. Paul says, there are many out here that are doing this. They take the Word of God and they peddle it to fill their pockets. They peddle it. And they do use it, uh, deceptive methods in order to make that happen. Oh, how, how careful we must be. But oh oh, how we cannot get swayed. It's easy to look, well, that looks like it has success, because there's people there, there's multitudes of people thronging around it. It looks like it has success. If we adopt that method as long as we stay preaching the gospel and don't water it down, if we adopt that method, I bet you we, could, we can make this thing work. The truth of God stands on its own. The truth of God simply needs to be declared and preached as it was in Corinth. It didn't need a a whole lot of uh, surroundings. It it simply needed to be preached there and it would triumph just as Christ said it would because it's truth. And he said here, listen, I'm not like many others who are peddling the truth. I am preaching it in sincerity and purity of motive. Uh, I'm preaching it of God. God told me to do that. I'm preaching it in the presence of God. I'm mindful of the fact that God is watching my every move. And I'm also preaching in Christ or in Christ's stead. As 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. I, I'm imploring you in the very place of Christ. I, I'm not uh, searching after all these, these different methods to try to make it look like we're successful. I'm, I'm literally standing here preaching the truth that great hazard in this place of Christ, as if Christ was standing here and I'm preaching to you, longing for you to turn to Him in faith, and that's what I'm doing. I'm not doing it like all of them that are peddling the truth. To fill their pocketbooks. No, I'm not doing that. Wiersbe said there was no need to be clever and peddle the word of God when following the triumphant train of the victorious Savior. There's no need. And friends, we need to get back to this, this very basic thought. The truth will always triumph when the truth is delivered. The reason Paul could write this to the Corinthian believers is he went to Troas, to Ephesus, and he simply declared the truth. At Athens, at Mars Hill, he declared the truth. Yes, it, it might have changed in, in the way that he he uh, he presented it to the different audiences there in Ephesus I, or in, in Athens. He he took time to even pull in some of the their poets and use their own words to, to uh, encourage them to look to the Lord. Christ, but he he preached the truth nonetheless he didn't water it down in any way he he preached the truth and when the truth is delivered it triumphs the fact is the reason truth is not triumphing in our country is because it's not being delivered the reason that it does not triumph in the different spheres of our lives is because it's often not being delivered Friends, you say, well, you know what, pastor, it just seems like a one-note, one-note church. We just keep coming back. Every single Sunday, we keep coming back to the same thing. Share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. Yes. Because if we are not doing that, God should close Grace Baptist Church down. And in a hurry. We're not here to coddle. We're here to be encouraged, to be motivated, get some questions answered, and get out there and share gospel. That's our our goal. And as you do that, do you know what? God's going to grow you in such an amazing way. He's going to grow you through those experiences. God specializes in on-the-job training. He doesn't say camp out for 12 years and figure it all out and then you're ready to go out there. Nope. He specializes in on-the-job training. Friends, I really believe that this, this month will be successful if more people are hitting the streets of Kettering, more people are witnessing in their workplaces, more family members are being witnessed, more missions dollars are being sent. We think as missions is across the pond or across the ocean. No, 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 no. It starts right here. It starts right here. We do not not hire missionaries to do our job for us. It has to be here. If we expect them to do it over there, if we expect Brother Will to plant churches like that over there, we need to have that same exact heart for Ohio. We need to get behind it, and we need to allow God, through us, to extend the triumphs of Christ in Ohio, greater Lakes region in America, and every place he sends us. Grenada, every place he sends us. Extending the triumphs of Christ. There was a man on the north East side of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, he, was, uh, he wasn't someone that you'd go get coffee with or whatever they drank at that time. He, uh, he was homeless. He didn't have family that cared about him. He ran around naked, just very uncomfortable in that way. Uh, he, people would try to bind him, he'd break chains. He ran around and kind of hung out in the tombs, kind of a weird guy in that way, just uh, uh, hung out in the tombs, climbed mountains, and was constantly screaming nonsensical uh, phrases and so on, and you couldn't really even understand all that was going on. People just kept their distance. They knew that he was out there. They could hear him, his voice wafting across the water, but uh, they just kind of let, uh, let him be until uh, there was this one day that Jesus and his disciples come up to this area, and, uh, and this guy spots Jesus, and he he recognizes Jesus, and so he runs to Jesus in the best way that he knows how, he worships Jesus. And at that point, Jesus uh, just sensed that this man was full of demons, and he said something, but uh, the, uh, the demons inside him said, uh, what do we have to do with you? Uh, we, don't, we don't want anything to do with you. Uh, uh, leave us well, Jesus commanded the demons to, to, to leave this man, and he asked his name, and he said, my name is Legion, and he goes, well, you've all said, because there's thousands of demons inside of you. And he said uh, he, he commanded the demons to come out, and, and, and according to his power, he has the power to do that, and how many of us understand that when Jesus makes a command like that, it happens? And so the demons all, Jesus uh, uh, signaled for them to go. He commanded that they would go and, and jump into this, uh, this herd of swine, a great uh, herd of swine. And the, the, the swine ran uncontrollably uh, off the mountainside and into the, into the sea. And obviously there were some owners there that day that uh, were not super pleased about that. But this man was of the demons. Everything changed for legion. All at once. Uh, One of the first things that the Bible says about him is he put on clothes. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) He put on clothes. You watch a society that's devolving, watch they take off their clothes. And we ought to have nothing to do with that. That's not very much of an amen, but that's another message. He put on clothes. Amen. He, uh, he sat down. He talked to Jesus intelligibly. He had a spiritual conversation. Jesus and his disciples were being ushered off the, off the area. Uh, he, he is begging Jesus, can I, can I go with you? Can I go with you? I want to go with you. And to which Jesus said to him, Go to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and had compassion on thee. Go to your friends. Wasn't it enough for Jesus just to triumph in, in that man's life and legion's life wasn't enough? Wasn't the triumph enough? Wasn't that just enough to he could have died at that point and gone on to glory and that would have been enough? Jesus had done that great work in his life. It had rescued him from all the the torment of the, the demonic pressures upon him. Wouldn't that have been enough? No. Jesus says, I want you to take that and I want you to extend my triumph that I brought into your life and I want you to bring it somewhere else. Go to your friends. Tell them about the compassion. Tell them about the compassion. Not the you're dying and you're going to hell, which is, re- is a reality. Tell them about the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. You know, as we talked this morning, it's the goodness of God that will lead a nation that is confused about its very gender to repentance. It's the goodness of God. So what does he do? He did. Jesus sent him. He went. Sounds about right to me for a disciple of Christ. If you're my disciples, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So he did. He told his family. He told his city. All the citizens in the city that said, aren't you the guy that used to run around scantily clothed or not clothed and breaking chains and running around and sleeping up by the tombs? Well, aren't you that guy? Yep, yep. Let me tell you, I met Jesus. Jesus got rid of my demons. I'm changed. He's really kind to me. No one else would come out to me. No one else would come to me and and talk to me. No one else would engage me. They just saw me and went around. They would avoid that area. No one else came out to me. No one else saw the... They just saw the the outward trappings. They just saw the gender confusion. They just saw the drinking. They just saw the the cutting. They just saw all that. They didn't come out to me. But Jesus came out to me. I, I saw him that day. He changed me. I'm different. He went to everyone that he knew. But The Bible says, Mark 5 and verse number 20 and so on, he didn't just go to his own city went to Decapolis, which is the word for the ten cities that surrounded. You talk about a man that got on fire, God triumphed in my life. He changed me. And I want everyone to know about it. And he went to every city he could possibly go to in his life so that Jesus didn't need to go there because he published it abroad. Wow. Wouldn't you like to be a part In your lifetime of extending the triumph of Christ in every place? Wouldn't you like to set your money to work to extend the triumph of Christ? Wouldn't you like to say, Lord, I don't care if you send me, I don't care if you put me in Grenada from now till I die, I don't care if you put me up in Canada from now till I die, I just want to go somewhere, I don't care if you leave me here, I just want to extend the triumph of Christ. I want to bring the life-changing message that that, that triumph to somebody else. I want to do that. Wouldn't you like to find where God is working right now and join Him in that? Wouldn't you like to join Him in carrying the Savior of Christ into another person's life and another relationship? Wouldn't you offer yourself to God and say, I'm all in. I'm all in. I don't need to wait to the end of mission weeks to, to say, I'm all in. Lord, just give me direction now. I'm all in. I want to extend the triumph of Christ. You've triumphed in my life. I want to extend it everywhere and in every place. Wouldn't you like that? You see, this, this life that we're living is much bigger than you. Much bigger than the American dream. Much bigger. We have the awesome opportunity to share in the triumph of Christ and to extend it, and we want to do that, don't we? So let's talk to the Lord about that. Let's bow our heads, and this morning I want to ask this. I may be speaking to some that have not allowed Christ to change them like he changed that man on the northeast side of Galilee, like he changed legion. Wouldn't you like Jesus to triumph in your life? You can't bring triumph other places that, if it hasn't already happened in your life. Would you be willing to turn to Him alone, admit you're a sinner, deserving the judgment of Almighty God? Would you turn to Him by faith and accept the forgiveness that He's offering you? Would you allow Him to take away all of your sins just like He took away all of those demons To take away all of your sin and to give you His righteousness. I wonder this morning, if that's your heart, if you'd pray a prayer uh, simply like this, I can't save you, but the Bible says this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart that He is God and that we would uh, confess with our mouth that God has raised Him from the dead, that we would be saved. Romans chapter 10. It starts in the heart, it's a belief. It's an acknowledging that this is this is right. Maybe you'd pray a prayer like this between you and God. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge right now to you that I am a sinner. I do deserve the penalty of hell. I believe with all of my heart that you came to this earth, to, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross in my place for my sins. Jesus, I believe that You rose again from the dead bodily on the third day. And the best I know how, I believe in You and You alone to forgive me of all of my sin and to give me eternal life. Thank You for answering my prayer. Amen. With our heads still bowed, I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that has just placed faith in Jesus Christ alone. I'm not asking you to have repeated something Uh, that you've done in the past, I'm simply asking, did Jesus work in your heart this morning? And you say, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and he has not yet triumphed in my life. But uh, right now, the best I know how, I've placed faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you with no one looking around, would you just simply acknowledge that with an upraised hand? I've acknowledged Jesus Christ and I've accepted him as my personal savior. I believe I'm speaking mostly to believers this morning. Believers, as we do business with God, wouldn't you like to extend the triumph of Christ in every place he sends you? Wouldn't you like to do that? I'd say this morning would be a good time for us to find a place to kneel and to talk to God about that. Lord, I'm giving myself a fresh and anew. I want to extend the triumph of Christ. Let's stand to our feet and find a place to pray. Right now, I'd encourage you to find a place to pray. Let's do business with the Lord. I want to extend the triumph of Christ. I don't want to keep this to myself. The altar's open. I encourage you to come and pray, find a place to pray. Paul found great joy in extending the triumph of Christ. You will too. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.